Yo, this is um, the Ancient Texan. Uh, I'm fixing to post an unedited version of Matt Bailey. He's a friend of mine uh, who just died recently. And his family has listened to edited version of this. It's about 30 minutes long. This is about an hour long, so it's probably not for everybody. But if you knew Matt Bailey and you just want to hear his voice, it's good. <laughs> I'm choking up again. Done that quite a few times this week. Didn't know how much I loved the guy. Anyway, this is a conversation with Matt Bailey where he does some of his points and kind of cuts in the middle here. I don't know quite happen, what happened with the recording, but it uh, starts in the middle and it ends proper with a good goodbye. I guess it'll have to be my goodbye. Anyway, this is Matt Bailey. whatever the whatever the main point is you know it worries me now some people are better at multitasking than i am yeah i'm not yeah yeah if i'm at something i want to be there you know fully engaged um but yeah that that interactive thing is handy because yeah sometimes like i i have a lot of zoom meetings with uh big groups of people at the delaware nature society you know 30 40 people whatever and, you know, they keep everybody muted because even just the background noise of each, even if you're not talking, like I got my air conditioner on now, you know? Yeah, mine's on too. I can hear it. And it's... Yeah, and if you times that by 40, you know, then then that becomes an issue, even if somebody's sitting there quietly. But yeah, like uh, I, as far as the chat side of things, sometimes when someone says something that is unclear or, or they were, somebody was saying something the other day that they kind of, you know, mixed up just a word slip. Uh, low versus high, you know, we have high this, and we, we can't have that, when in fact, you know, she meant low, you know, so I just quickly say, you know, and, she, and then she corrected herself and stuff. Um, yeah, yeah, like everything, there's good and bad. Yeah. So, um, I just turned the recording on, I thought I had it on from the beginning, but I didn't. Okay, well, we were just chatting anyway. Uh, High and wide of the mark. I also, yeah, I always want to hope that, you know, that chatting we have some moment of wisdom just accidentally escapes. Every once in a while, yeah. <laughs> yeah, so uh, let me see. Uh, would, do you usually start with an introduction or something? Or well, I thought you could give us a little bit of your, your background about uh, yourself. And I, I know that your, your work in nature and I don't exactly know what you did but I know that it kind of influences the way that you see everything um, yeah very very much so uh, and you will see with uh, some of the, the poems I, I hope to present today and also uh, just the way I express myself I'll often use a, a metaphor um, for a uh, a concept because often you know you can use that metaphor and have like a whole big concept appear in someone's head um, without having to describe it all. Of course, the challenge is 
you don't want to slip into like jargon type things. Uh, for example, I'm probably going to read one today where before I start, I'm going to have to explain a certain piece of uh, shark anatomy in order for it to make a lot of sense. Yeah, that, um, I noticed even that picture that you have behind you right now. What is that, a seagull? Oh, yeah, I just got that up the other day. Uh, that's actually a piping plover, uh, which is the bird that I spent most of my career trying to protect. It's an endangered species. Um, and actually, a friend of mine gave me that. It's a photo that he had taken. And uh, we had worked together out on, these birds nest on beaches. So we'd worked together out on the beach for a good number of years. And some of these birds have uh, bands on their legs, like colored bands. And by the series of colors, you can identify that bird to the spe a specific animal. And then you can know where it was, where it hatched, you know, where it migrates to, if it's been seen in all those places. And that particular bird was, individual bird was one that we both worked with uh, when uh, we were working together down at Cape Penelope in the State Park. So it's bands that you put on the bird or that? Yes, yes, yes. They, they are bands that are put on the bird. And it is, it's, banding is a highly regulated and you have to have like a master bander as part of your team. So it's not something that we do lightly, let's put it that way. But the information you get from that is, is hugely important. So, so uh, since your, your career affects your poetry so much, what, what did, you know, what was your job? Uh, well, if you're involved with, probably this is true with so many fields, I know it is, but certainly if you're involved with uh, wildlife conservation, which is like, I put on my tax form, you know, what is your occupation? Wildlife biologist. Uh, and if you do that kind of work, you're going to do a whole bunch of different things. But the field section, and then I ended up managing teams that did this, uh, was working with these, what we call beach nesting birds. So these are all birds that have evolved to lay their eggs like out in the sand or back in the dunes, which worked wonderfully for about, you know, 20,000 years or so. And then we started to either recreate on the beach or you know, throw a bunch of rocks on it so we could build buildings behind it, that sort of thing. So their habitat has been uh, reduced by oh, a solid 90% probably. So uh, this particular bird, the piping plover, uh, had the misfortune to have evolved to have nesting, to nest down here on the Atlantic coast. And they nest, uh, well, really the Atlantic coast and in the Mississippi uh, river systems. Uh, but other birds that are just like them, other plovers, uh, they actually nest up in Hudson Bay, you know, way, way up north. And they're not as affected at this point because they're not nesting in an area that we're uh, recreating on or, or destroying one way or another yet. You know, with, with climate change, there's gonna be effects all over the, all over the planet. So how does the, you know, working with wildlife and trying to preserve it how does that affect your values? I mean, it must have a unique set of values. You know, I, I think, um, I mean, I've always loved the outdoors, which is one of the things that guided me into my career. So it's a, you know, a chicken and the egg kind of thing, you know, which came first. Uh, but one thing is, and this is true, like if, if you talk to a sociologist, I would think, uh, the more you learn about a sociologist case people and a biologist case uh, animals and, and their systems, the more you can see how we all are 
have a lot of the same behaviors and how a lot of things that from my end that people do with some of our interactions many of our interactions are mimicked with some of the behaviors that occur out in the natural world so it kind of gives you like this more uh three-dimensional perspective about why things happen and and maybe sometimes how things can be improved you know like if we could improve the habitat of the poor um we would have better outcomes yeah I, um the way i relate to that although i've spent a lot of time outdoors and but maybe not paying as much attention to nature as you have but i see that in my dog the dog that i have now that's 17 uh, was very angry and aggressive uh, and i think he picked up some of that from me and now i have a dog that's 10 bungalow uh, that's more mellow and chill and i think some of that's inherent with who they are as i was going to say as people but who they are as animals but some of that is you know reflection of of a change in me over that time and the two of us uh, kind of evolved the dog and me evolved together so I, I very much see you know human traits in my dog so I that's the way I relate to what you're saying yeah I, I completely agree you know and anybody who has a pet uh, you know is, is going to say uh, if they've interacted with it uh, that you know each animal has its own personality and having had the opportunity to work with uh, in depth with a, with a number of different species and get to know individual birds like in my picture back here which you on the radio or the you know, the feed can't see trust me there's a bird back behind me uh, you know I, I you know I got to learn that each bird and especially each pair you know male female with their with their chicks behave differently. And if you can learn how they behave, you can make some predictions about the best way to protect them, to keep them safe. So yeah, yeah. Uh, I think uh, that animal-human connection is a, a very uh, rich and deep one. Yeah, I wish we could be smart enough to know how to fix our current social problems by studying yeah well you know and that, that's something i want to talk about a fair amount today if, if, if we flow in that direction it's sort of like I, i'm i guess i would say politically uh i'm an um incrementalist how you know i feel like uh you know there's ways to make big changes but almost always it's the result of bunches of little changes that have prepared the stage for the big change so i, I really do believe incrementally you can make a difference uh like I mentioned earlier, you know, that on my tax forms, I say wildlife biologist for occupation. Sometimes when I'm, you know, you meet somebody new or, or something like that, and they ask me, you know, uh, well, what do I do? Uh, I say, uh, I say I'm an activist. And I really try to live my life with that, that thought process. And of course, that, that played very much into my career, because I thought that, you know, I feel like that's, you know, direct environmental activism. But, um, and you may, may have heard me say this before. I, I mean, I really believe that anytime you interact with someone, that's a political uh, situation. Uh, example, you know, like you, you leave your house and, you know, your neighbor's next door, you give them a wave. That, that's a, a, 
a political act. You're bringing people together, or you don't wave. You know, you, you ignore them. Uh, and so each of us has this op- opportunity in life to uh, to make these little changes. And if you have to do that enough, 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 uh, you know, you can feel like if you live in a friendly neighborhood or a isolated neighborhood, and it makes a difference. You know, people always want to look at, often want to look at, uh, well, you know, who won the presidential elections or whatever, which is important. Uh, but, you know, how did that, how did the climate get to a situation where that individual gets elected? You know, it's all these little interactions. Yeah. And I know you talk a lot about that kind of thing on your podcast as well. Yeah, I um I think we spend way too much time worrying about Trump and what he does than the conditions that put Trump into office. I mean, it's it it's not an you know it's not an accident. Uh, he's there, and there was a lot of people hurting, and that you know were pushing back against the establishment and I, I think he's an anti-establishment you know, candidate uh, and it's maybe proven too uh, too difficult a pill to swallow mm. which is good but it uh, but it's uh, it, it's kind of like the pandemic and uh, the murder his name um, uh, George Floyd George Floyd just, just the most recent of many and many and many but it it's kind of like um, they all kind of highlight uh, someone was saying today it's like the water level has dropped down and you can see what's below the surface and Trump has been part of that wave of stuff that you know that let the water drain from the swamp not the way that he meant it and we can see all the problems underneath the surface, the inequalities, the racism. Uh, and he, he's just put a bright light on it. Not not on purpose. He's just a part of the phenomenon. Uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, he doesn't come out of a vacuum. Uh, and, and actually, it's interesting that you know, using that metaphor of the, uh, uh, you know, as water drains down. And of course, there's the one end of it, the... Uh, uh, draining the swamp, which, as uh, someone who's interested in environmental re- in, in environmental regulation, uh, yes, he is draining physical swamps uh, in order to you know have people build buildings on them. So there there's that end of it. But the other thing that occurred to me just when you said that is there's a uh, Rudyard Rudyard Kipling story called uh, the Peace Rock. Um, I don't know if you if you've heard about it. It's one of his short stories, and. The concept there is in the jungle in India, in this case, uh, if there's a drought and the water in, in the watering hole gets low enough, um, the, uh, there are a certain rock, you know, it surfaces, you know, because the water gets low and the rocks underwater and all the animals in the jungle, the predators, the prey, they agree that when the peace rock is shown and the water's that low, that they all can share the, the, the pool, the pond, without anyone hunting there. So uh, I kind of can see where we're hopefully maybe in that situation too, that, you know, our, you know, I don't, I don't know what the metaphor of our water situation is, but as things get 
more challenging, maybe it can help pull us together. Sometimes things have to get worse than better. Well, your yeah. poem this morning that I heard you read um, is very much taking nature and bringing it into our current situation. Maybe that'd be a good time for you to read that poem. Yeah, yeah. Uh, let me see. I've got uh, a number of poems I pulled out. And because of this situation we're in, especially in the last couple of weeks, although, you know, I would argue that it's been going on much, much longer than that. Uh, a lot of these poems are going to have a political feel to them. But as we've said, a lot of them are going to use nature to, to get at whatever I'm trying, trying to explain. So I, I think I'll pull out uh, the one that's the most like that. Um, hang on a second. Okay, so uh, this one is called Jaws, uh, informed by the movie Jaws. And this is something that, the one that I'm gonna have to have the, the note about um, anatomy of a shark. Many of predators, and sharks are a good example, they have something that's called a nictating membrane that is like kind of like an eyelid. It's an additional eyelid. And when they're going in for the big bite, this membrane comes up on, on the eyes that'll protect it in case, so, you know, I don't know, like, let's say bones come out of the prey and go to poke the eye, or, you know, it's thrashing around, whatever. So I use that term, nictating membrane. So here's the poem. It's called Jaws. Sharks are beautiful animals, nearly perfect at what they do. But I don't want one for my president. Heartless, soulless, mindless, Saucer eyes rolled back, blind, behind nictating membranes. The main difference between a shark and our current president is that I believe that sharks have souls. Um, a predator grown so large is an aberration, an anomaly. As the sea-fearing sheriff said in the movie, when the villain said in the movie when the villain surfaced and showed its toothy grin. The sheriff said, we're going to need a bigger boat. As I am saying, even before the primary, we need the current prey, and I am among the schooling and afraid. We need to get out and vote. So that's Jaws. I like that. <laughs> Yeah, there, there's plenty of reason and opportunity to be angry these days, and expressing that anger is is not a bad thing. But you know, putting the anger to good use is is what I think is the best goal. Because there's a difference between anger and hate; they're two different things. Yeah, I, uh, I'm always struggling with how to change things which is why I podcast and I used to blog and all that, but it, it's hard. It's hard to know what to do to make the world better. Mm -hmm. but yeah. It, I think you're onto something, you know, that the way to your neighbors are a start of that process. And yeah. Cause you know, the next time you pass by them, you might chat. You know, the next time you know, after you've chatted, the next time you might start talking about more, uh, you know, sociological uh, things. 
And then, you know, you might find that you have different opinions or you might have find you have the same opinions, but at least you're talking. Yeah, I'm, I'm also studying a book right now, When Things Fall Apart, and it's a Buddhist concept of how to live life um, and it kind of with the idea that there's a lot of aggressiveness in the world and you need to find a gentle spot in yourself and then share it with others mm. you know hope it, hope it grows yep it's, it's the wave to your neighbor concept yeah exactly exactly and you know uh Another thing I think about is, you know, there's no such thing as, as a uh, selfless act, you know, because if you do something that's to help someone else, you usually feel pretty good about it too. Feel yeah. good about yourself. So you just, I try to treat myself to to as many uh, uh, selfless acts as as I can manage. Because I deserve it, darn it. <laughs> um. Should I read another one or? Sure, sure. Okay. And that that's probably, you know, looking at the ones I chose, that one was probably the one that had the most natural aspect to it, metaphors and things. Because this one is called an, Another. And I guess I'll preface this by saying, uh, you know, I wasn't brought up, I was brought up in a fairly suburban situation. Um, and I didn't live in a war zone. I don't now live in a war zone but even so these things that i'm going to say in this poem are are absolutely true and not exaggerated so this one's called another i have one friend whose father tried to kill her another whose mother was killed in front of him when he was eight another whose family did to her things so unspeakable that now at age 76, she still can't talk to me about it. Another, 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 even one other is too many. The best I can do is try to make no one the other to me. The least I can do is vote in lawmakers who are interested in protecting every one of us. So that's another. Wow, that's, that's pretty powerful. We live in a very aggressive environment. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I shouldn't. I shouldn't have that source material to work with. You know. Again, you know, I, like with my upbringing, you would think that I'd less likely to have that. But sadly, I think so many other people have this in their in their circles. Whether it's, you know, uh, my heart goes out to the people that were brought up inside that kind of environment. It's too much. And it's just, you know, way too many. And that trauma that we carry with us, and I've just learned that, you know, comes out in a lot of our actions and we pass that you know, hate and abuse on to other people, uh, on to our, we're not careful, our kids. Yep. Yeah, I mean, at the very best, it affects how you interact with people. You know, that that's the best you can hope for. You know, whereas, as you're saying, you know, it, can, it often translates into how you, how you actually, your actions. 
another. That's a that's a pretty powerful point. Yeah. Well, thank thank you. And that's you know, uh, knowing that we were going to be talking about poetry, you know, I, I was thinking about you know, well, why do I write poetry? And uh, I think probably the main crux is to try to uh, give voice to people who feel like they're voiceless. I mean, I know a few people who are actually literally voiceless, but you know, the vast majority of us have voices that we can use anytime. And then there's others that, uh, you know, another reason I write is to, to sort of put words to it, put words to people that, to situations that are sometimes wordless to other people. They, they have these feelings, these things going on, but they don't necessarily know how to process it in, in, into words. Um, example I have of that is uh, I was a part of a poetry workshop, small group of people, maybe 10 of us, and we would meet every couple weeks and, and critique each other's poems. And one day a woman showed up and she was in her 60s. Um, and, you know, we're sharing our poems and she had some pretty good poems, very gospel oriented kind of things that she was doing. And it came out that she hadn't known how to read until two years before that. Wow. So here she was, you know, she just learned to read, you know, well you know, into her life. I had to be in her late fifties and she felt called upon to actually, you know, jump it up, take it up a notch to poetry. Uh, Cause she was just sort of celebrating to be able the chance to actually use the words to put all those thoughts and feelings she had all throughout her whole life onto the page. Wow. I, um, been an engineer and mathematics in my, you know, world. And I've always written poetry more to survive and for myself than anything else deal with what's going on inside of just my kind of therapy um, but I relate a little bit to the idea of not trying to use your voice until very late in life mm. and I find that um, it's a whole new skill for me like you edited uh, the book I wrote and I think it was a decent first effort but I'm writing the second one and I can already tell there's an improvement in how I do it. So I can't, that lady that's learned to read when she's 50, man, it's going to be amazing to see her evolution. Uh, if she evolved or she's writing poetry a couple of years later. Wow. Yeah. Child world. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I'm sure it's uh, unlocked a lot of things, you know, inside her that uh, are going to be able to come out and, you know, I, I bet you there's lots of wisdoms that are going to... He's been saving them up for 50 years. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah, I, I, I agree with you. It is so interesting to see young writers and older writers, and they both have different kinds of energies. And I, I think, you know, the, the youthful writers have some really... Uh, important energies to share. Often when I'm listening to them, I, I get, you know, like I get little energies in me woken up that I might've forgotten about. But whereas on the other hand, you know, seeing and hearing people who've lived some life uh, transcribe that in, into their poetry ha has a real depth to it.
just got to keep talking. I wonder what sometime what would happen if if we had a kind of a group write. I don't know how we mechanically we would do that, especially on on Zoom. But a group write of a poem. I wonder what the hell that would look like. Yeah, that would certainly be doable. Uh, yeah, you know, I, I think you'd have to, you know, figure out the logistics how you went around the quote-unquote room. Uh, but yeah, yep, that, that kind of stuff is really interesting. And yeah, because one of the things I love about the uh, poetry group that we're both involved with is we'll often be writing about the same subject. And, you know, if there's eight people in the room, you're going to get eight different perspectives on the, the same subject. And that's just fascinating. And and the diversity in that group is really pretty amazing. Oh, yeah. Yeah, one of the many things I treasure about it. Yeah, it's, it's like, oh, you can't be in that group and be normal. If, if yep. normal is means anything. Yeah, I mean, I get along with everybody, but uh, I, I rarely have, I, I don't have very many friends that I put in the normal category. <laughs> yeah, I, I like the... Uh, um, outliers and the weirdos <laughs> as long as the heart's in the right place that's the mean that's the important thing so i i, I still am anxious to hear that poem that you said this morning hear that again i think i sent it but you probably didn't have time to read yeah it. i did i did uh, see it there but i did not have time to read it but i read i read enough of it to recognize that uh, it's kind of a prose point kind of it's a it's, it's kind of a narrative kind of like a lot of the stuff that I write you know, it, it, it doesn't have the classical um, kind of structure of a point but it certainly has the the, the feeling of a point anyway I, yeah. I liked it whatever whatever structure it has yeah. Do, do you find often that as you're writing a, a poem, it sort of leads you to where you're going to end up? Uh, you know, like, like that particular piece that you're talking about. Um, you know, I, I, I knew what, generally what I wanted to say to start with, but I didn't know how I was going to say it. And as I wrote it, I said, oh, I realized that there was a certain kind of, you know, rhythm of thought that was going on. And then I had the... Uh, uh, the the poem that I inserted within that the actual more formal type poem uh, and yeah it's, it's one of the things that sort of fell together but it still was very uh, you know as we were saying like rough around the edges lots of things are still rough around the edges but I don't know if I'm going to change that or not because I, I you uh, know it's maybe with the word organic it's mm. organically grown inside of you and comes out I yeah most of what I write the first draft um, I'm not happy with it all I have to I have a philosophy that poems need to be very concise and convey present a feeling and build on it and uh, only, and I, I don't want mine to be too complex I want them to be simple and to, to grab one Maybe not even, it's not about thought. It's about making people feel something, which is what I want to do with my poetry. And I think this poem of yours, um, I found it very visceral. And even, I couldn't hardly tell you what was in it, 
I can only tell you the the feeling that it gave me. Um, I'm pleased to hear that because that's what I wanted, wanted to do. It's like, you know, spark feelings and then hopefully give people a, a, a space to see that they, they, they can act on those feelings. They can make things happen from that. Well, without much more to do, why don't you read it for us? Oh, you want me to read the whole one? I'm glad to do it. Yeah. Okay, it's going to take me a second to pull it out of the, the files here. You know, so talk quietly amongst yourselves. Well, I, I, I can. I don't know how you do that, but... Yeah. Well, th this is a good example of where the editing thing is. Yeah, going. that's what I was thinking about. There ought to be some way that I can raise a red flag right here. got there okay shall I give it a whirl go for it okay so this one is called fish school and zebras have stripes they say that fish school and zebras have stripes so the predators can't focus in on a single target 27 May 2020 was one of those days where the herds of evils swirled around me and I lost track. First, I learned that T. Rump was perched to pull us out of the World Health Organization in the heart of a global pandemic. Then, immediately afterwards, some putrescent item about further deflowering of the Endangered Species Act. Her distraction clouds specifics for me at this remove. Okay, that's all par for the course. I stepped out of the ring to make some food and savor a quiet meal. Savor a quiet meal. Then I chromed back on. Broke trail towards my email. This guy named Floyd kept infiltrating my feed. George Floyd. I looked into it. After that, I was pretty raw. I am pretty raw. Damn it, remember, recall, we are not the prey. We've all got predator in us, maybe a lot. We got teeth that can chomp and grind and tear shit up. We can eat anything we hunger after, and it is for us to decide what we're going to swallow. Focus, find an issue, know almost everything about a few things and press your advantage. Think, compare, follow the trail, don't lose track. If we all follow towards the truth of the trails we know, we will all gather at the same watering hole, but arrive from different paths. And I could write this all out like in a classic English literature form and balance it up, but fuck it. It feels right, right now, right now. And anyway, there ain't no way to make it pretty or even equitable. So I'm going to pass out, pass around that first taste that came into my mouth 
at the 27 May Raw Bar. And if the taste is acrid to you, as it is to me, spit it out and aim it well with surgical precision. A poem titled George Floyd. A moment of silence? How about four minutes of pleading? How about eight minutes and 46 seconds of brutal, literal, lethal oppression? How about a life sentence for a murderer or four? How long, how long, how long, my God? So in conclusion, remember, recall, this ain't no goddamn blue plate special. Not this time, not this time. We've paid an adult price for this buffet and we can come back as many times as we like until we are satisfied. Wow. So that's how I feel. Well, the, the, it's, it's almost like it, it's the preface, preface to the poem and then the poem. And it, it's kind of a, like you said, a poem inside of a poem. Yeah. Yeah. And that's always, uh, you know, writing it and because I think I'd written the George Floyd thing, you know, just, you know, an hour before or something like that with no real intention of using it necessarily here in that particular, in the zebras have stripes uh, piece. But then, you know, it felt like that was the right thing to do. And then as, you know, like a former English major, among other things, I said, okay, well, if I do that one in order to balance it up, you know, to make it more like a proper, you know, properly uh, formatted poem or whatever, I should be doing something more, uh, I should have another poem about like, the political situation you know as far yeah and i thought well you know i can do that and i may do that but the important thing i wanted to get out right then is that how i felt and how and if anybody else felt in that felt that way as well that um here's an expression of it uh, i haven't been able to get a grip on how i feel i i go kind of my pragmatic self uh, and back to a little bit more of my engineering mode and my problem solving thing and one of my reactions is you know right now the, our government is spending trillions of dollars solving a lot of problems um, and I wonder if they're going to spend any trillions uh, solving this inequity problem and racism is is they're all kind of embedded together but um, I I saw this presentation a TED talk about I think it was a TED talk about how the very rich of our society now work very hard and they make sure that their kids are educated in the best schools and around the best minds and then their kids become you know wealthy and successful uh, and then if you look at the other end of the spectrum we have kids that don't have a Chromebook to you know and they don't have internet to go online to get even a poor education and this you know pandemic has pointed out that difference 
And then if you put on top of that uh, poverty and inequality, this racism, and then imagine how a kid at that end of the spectrum that's black and poor, single mom, doesn't have a Chromebook, doesn't have internet, can't go to school, she can't afford a babysitter, uh, she's lost her income, and compare that to the rich end of the spectrum. Uh, there is such a gulf there, and then you know there's a wide spectrum in between. But unless we're willing to spend trillions of dollars, we can't address that gulf. And we can be angry and upset and everything else, but you've got to say it takes money to fix those problems and to bring the education of the, someone that's at one end of that spectrum. You don't have to bring them all the way to the top, but just bring them closer toward the middle and give him a chance. It takes help with dollars for education. Um, probably help takes money to help subsidize mortgages, pay school loans, maybe college is free. There, there's got to be a lot of effort put in to uh, fix that problem. So anyway, that that's where yeah. my brain goes is yeah. like, how do you solve this problem? It's mm -hmm. going to take huge bucks. And unless we see some kind of bills passed that have trillions of dollars associated with it, I'm, I'm sad to think that it's going to stay the same damn way that it is right now. Yeah. I mean, it's a heavy lift, no question about it. Uh, but on the other hand, you know, we have uh, templates from um, some other countries that have done a much better job at it than we have. Um, and uh, really the bottom line, I think, as far as like, you know, looking at, at fiduciary things, you know, like where the budgets are and stuff, uh, you know, we, we spend on defense, you know, what is, what is it, five times more, or at least more than the top five other yeah. countries, uh, you know, that are spending huge amounts as well. Uh, is that all necessary? Is it being spent well? Uh, could it be diverted without any real loss of our uh, security? Do you know, we need my, my, think, my feeling is yes. Do we need troops in 150 countries around the world? Right. And, you know, the, and I, you know, this is such a big question. That's another reason why I like to focus on little things. Uh, but, you know, I, I, I sense that, you know, there, there's a lot of... Um, um, inefficiency, you know, within the Department of Defense as well, um, partly because they have a next to unlimited budget. Yeah, I, I mean, it, it's a it's a trillion dollar business, and in mm -hmm. America, uh, money is what drive things, uh, and the status quo is the way it is because we're making a lot of money with the status quo. So if we're going to change the status quo, you got to throw a big pile of money in another direction. And I, I'm afraid as a country, we're still a long way from being willing to do that. Yeah. And again, why I'm a, a believer in incrementalism, you know, because, you know, you, you can take a, a, I was using an example the other day, uh, seatbelts, you know, like I, I was, you know, born into the era where they, I guess they existed. But you know they were very much an optional thing, you know. And, but now, if um, 
you know, regardless of laws and things like that, if um, you know, you're you're in a grocery store parking lot and somebody's not belting, especially their their child in, you notice. You might even go up and talk to the person. Uh, and you know, there, there's ways that if you you know incrementally go at it, you can make other things the norm that are now not not in the norm. And of course, the other end is it could go the other way too. You know, if, if violence becomes the norm, that that can perpetuate itself too. Yeah, the status quo is the status quo for a reason. Yeah. Um, you have an, uh, another of your poems. I, I like your poetry uh, better than my depressing thoughts. <laughs> well, you know, uh, th- it's interesting because, you know, it's, it's sort of like when we were talking earlier, there, there's anger and there's hatred, you know, there's feeling down, you know, about situations. Um, and there, there, as someone who has, has dealt with an amount of depression, you know, it, it's, it's, it's a real thing, you know, it's not necessarily a decision that, you know, oh, I'm going to be down about this out or the other. But you know, all you can do is, is you know, try to hack away at it. So I, I, don't, I guess what I'm really saying is, you know, I don't necessarily think poetry is uh, supposed to be like bright all the time. And sometimes, you know, there's not a, a, not a solution in it. It's just you're expressing how you're feeling about the problem, and that's valid too. So let me see. I've got two other ones that I, I called up. Um, let me see. I'll ask you. Would you prefer the one that's more current? or the one that is talking about something that's not as current events? Well, we can do them both and then we can... Uh, oh, okay, yep. I, I can. I could take the heavy hand of edit, I probably won't. I'll probably leave both of them in. Yeah, well, well, feel free to you know, edit to whatever format uh, you know people are responding to. I that That's a... who knows. I actually think what determines whether something gets listened to or not depends mostly on the title that you put for the podcast and if people click on it and i'm apparently not real good at picking titles because every once in a while i put a title there and a bunch of people click and it's always a mystery to me i don't think necessarily the best podcast i think it's just it has a title that people that grabs people or it doesn't. Yeah, yeah. Like I, I sent out that other email to you earlier, which is a long one. You know, it's a full page of text. And one of the things I talk about in that is slogans. You know, what is it? You know, what is what are their values? And uh, I think you know, if you just end your thought process at a slogan, you're not doing much. But you know, if you use that to to open up um, a conversation, then it's got a value. And for example, uh, my one of my slogans uh that occurred to me a few years ago now is uh and it's very in line with the kind of things we've been talking about uh the slogan is uh to open a mind touch a heart so the idea that you know if you can get into the heart you can get to the mind through that whereas if you're just talking at somebody you know you're not going to get through oh my my wife's always pointing out to me put a face on the story yeah. Oh, yeah. Which, you know, this is an example with uh, uh, George Floyd. You know, I mean, that's a systemic problem with it's got all kinds of aspects to it. 
but it's really important when you can see one individual suffering as a result of a, a bigger issue you know you, you can really open people up to oh we've got to fix this big issue because of what i've seen about this one individual yes yeah, it's, it's not an isolated event no so i guess the next one i'm going to read uh has to do with um uh health and some of my challenges i have some mobility issues as, as you know i'm sure um but this one's called um finding my feet so here it goes every time i get out of bed or get up from a chair every time i rise up i must spend an instant finding my feet i don't know where seven of my toes are now but i know where i left them it amazes me that the less my feet take up physically the more they take up mentally emotionally every morning i look into a mirror at my feet my memory searches my past and any smudge that i see jolts adrenaline into my system no need for caffeine this morning so i so i rise up i find my feet then move forward i try to never look back my balance isn't good enough for that yet foresight and hindsight have shown me how to best keep up my humor i may laugh like a hyena in the night because once i stop i might bring my club to bear finding my feet wow that's pretty well done it's about all of us finding our feet and trying to move forward yeah society right now that actually kind of fits into uh, the current political situation yeah i oh i agree and i think one of the things i look for in a poem is that it's got uh it's not stuck in one particular time yeah. you know now sometimes there are ones that are just very much like you know for example the the uh the George Floyd poem um because i'm using one particular individual as as the uh uh foundation for the poem you know i that may or may not work in the future you know i i could probably doctor it so it was more uh well it may work for a long damn time i'm hoping that necessary. it's big enough that it works it becomes a, it becomes a slogan george floyd becomes a a slogan or you know i can breathe yeah. maybe exactly you know like even to this day uh you know trayvon martin uh which you know what was that 10 years ago maybe i i'm not very good at tracking times time back like yes, that so. i heard someone talking about how long ago it was and i think it was 10 years and it's going but then on on the other hand you know like you know there there's a poetry you know that can bring tears to my eyes that are you know from the 1600s you know so you know i try to keep that in mind i try to not let that limit what i'm going to write yeah i'm not good enough to have all those considerations <laughs> i'm in the realm of trying to make something clear and concise and and make someone feel something today i'm not quite into looking at the historical perspective of my poem <laughs> right but One i mean day, 
the, the more you uh, get closer to that, what you're trying to achieve, the more uh, uh, timeless it's going to be. Yeah. You know, like, like uh, there's that, that poem that we discussed earlier today in Flanders Field, yeah. which, uh, you know, you don't necessarily need to know that it was actually from World War I. Uh, you know, you don't necessarily need to know where Flanders Field is, but because the feeling that that is addressing is anybody who, who's lost people in a, in a war is going to relate to that poem. Yeah. So should I read the other one I had up on? Yeah, let's read that and then give people a break. It, probably nobody can take more than about an hour of the two of us. Yeah, yeah, that, that makes sense to me. I figured you would have a, a better sense of that than I, I do. Okay, here it is. I got it. So yeah, this, this is the more topical one. Um, so it's called uh, Stay Safe. I'm sure you've heard that phrase once or twice uh, in the last, you know, three months. Uh, I say it to my children all the time. So Stay Safe, and with a, a subtitle uh, in parentheses, uh, with a hearty hug to Donald Trump and a humbled bow to COVID-19. So stay safe. Move softly across this land. A ravening beast has arisen and is prowling. Bones and skulls are scattered before its den and its den is everywhere. Move singly across this land. Keep to the shadows and lonely spaces. The beast and his bandits wear masks and might be everyone. Move with eyes wide open. Tune your ears, scent the air. The beast is tasteless and thirsty. Don't touch, don't ever touch anyone. While we keep, our, while we keep to our hearths, the beast is roaming, expanding his range, is empowering his minions. They will try to infect every body when the beast has abandoned this realm. When the beast has abandoned, abandoned this realm, everyone, everybody, anyone, everywhere, stay safe, stay safe. Don't let the beast take refuge in your den. So that's stay safe. I'm not to go back and listen to that again i wasn't quite sure what the beast was you know uh, i think that's a very astute uh um observation because uh, you know as i wrote it for first go through i kind of unconsciously changed where i was going with it and the definition of of you know who the beast was now part of it is you know it's really the the two together uh, in this case covid and our man up top uh, but I, it, that is something that I knew as I wrote it, and even as I, you know, related, because I wrote that one just a few days ago. Um, I need to make it more clear and concise, like like you've talked about. Uh, you know, I need need to pare it down certain ways or, or sharpen it or whatever. Um, but I definitely like the idea I'm trying to get across. No, I like the the imagery of a of a beast roaming this land. I definitely. And, and I started off with the, the idea that you were uh, talking about Trump. 
and and the feelings and the, and the hate that comes with that and the ju- actually I don't think it's as much hate as it is judgment um, it, it's the idea of judging your fellow human and finding him lacking that I think best summarizes Trump it's a judgment mm-hmm. and summers um, a condemnation of judgment it's a it's I grew up in a very religious fundamentalist religion and I feel that you know maybe that's just because that, that that's me um, or it was me and I you know still a lot of it stuck inside of me um, but that judgment of you know the judgment of an immigrant of a Muslim or a black person of other you know some other anything so that's what I thought the beast was in the beginning and then it, as it moved toward the end I and the be safe part was more the the COVID thing so it it, it almost works for me I mean yeah I, yeah that's the art of a really good poem is to, to find that 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 balance and that uh, concision. You know, the, the, the beast kind of metamorphosis or something in there. But, yeah, yeah, maybe if I threw something like like uh, some sort of were animal type yeah, thing. You know, this, this beast anyway, can come at you from different ways. And I think I it, it's like lot of my own poems I think I've got something if I just you know take my my knife and work on the statue a little bit more it'll look like you know what I'm trying to carve it's almost there yeah yeah well you know like like that that phrase you know about sculptors you know you start with a big block of marble and then you carve away everything that's not your statue yeah yeah exactly well, I enjoyed doing this, and I, I read your other thing uh, about, you know, using this energy to unite. I think that's probably a separate podcast. I think we. Yeah, I'd be glad to come back on that. Uh, and yeah, that that one is. Uh, um, well, first of all, yeah, thank you very much for the opportunity to to come on. I, I really appreciate having these kind of discussions with someone who's as thoughtful as yourself. And uh, we need more of this kind of thing out there. So I'm, I'm glad I had a chance to participate. Yeah, and, and I I want to think about what you wrote um, in, in using this energy to, and doing something with it. But I, I I need to spend more time and sit down, and then I'll, I'll kind of respond, and then we'll take it from there. Yeah, my, my hope is that it's going to be a, a um, iterative kind of thing, you know, where we bounce ideas back and forth. And it, what I'm sort of proposing is, you know, really outside the box as far as, you know, uh, you know, doing doing calls to get the vote out and stuff. All that stuff is important. But this is like going back to the idea of uh, um, to open a mind, touch a heart. This is like like I, I was talking with the same thing with the another poetry group, the one that uh, I still can't remember what last name Fernetta is in, and. Um, uh, she was proposing something that was very interesting, but it was was the really big endeavor to make it happen. Uh, you know, what we were talking about, uh, you know, sort of working algorithms and things within social media and stuff like that, you know, which could be a very powerful thing. 
but uh, you know, I'm sort of trying to think about um, very simple little things we, you know, you can do to sort of shake people out of their their little day to day and just, you know, open up the mind just for a few seconds and see what goes in, and then they can go through their lives and maybe it'll be, you know, a seed that will hopefully uh, reemerge in November at least. <laughs> So yeah, this is a very open-ended kind of thing, you know. Uh, um, shoot, I was going to bring up an example, and it it, it, it escaped me. Uh, ah, anyway, anyway, yeah. So, but my hope is that we, and this is one of the reasons why I want to uh, either use your Zoom or you know do my own. So I I, I want to. Uh, because the only way to move this kind of thing forward in this climate right now is is via a Zoom type thing. But you know, I, I'm going to like hopefully have when I get enough responses because I just sent this stuff out last night. Um, and my hope is that the people. One of the reasons I included you was that uh, I wanted to send it to people that had email lists, you know, of, of poetry poetry groups. So I, I you know I sent it out to like seven or eight people that have that kind of thing you know and if they were comfortable with it and only if they were comfortable no pressure you know and they wanted to send it on to the different you know because I, I like you know with our group i don't i guess i could probably extract the emails from uh you know each individual email because i don't think we're blind ccing no we have a i've kind of composed a list of of our poetry group and Tracy kind of has a poetry group that I, you know, since I sponsored the Zoom, I can extract those email lists too. So yeah, and I sent I sent it to her as well, uh, and she responded, and that's kind of and again I don't know if you were on the phone call at the time because this was like our initial just chatting type thing. Uh, she she said that you know it sounds like an interesting idea. She has probably two thirds of the people that have responded. Um, have thought I was you know, really just focusing on on uh, the police brutality thing, you know, which I, I I'm feeling right now like if it's like a tripody kind of thing, that is definitely one of the tripods. I think another one I would like for our group to, whatever this group may end up being, uh, to maybe address is something like like domestic violence, and then the third tripod is electoral, in my opinion, you know. But again, this is a very much a formulating idea. So by the time I get enough people to sort of say, respond saying thanks, um, and then think about a Zoom group meeting, I'll have a, a few like examples of what I'm thinking. But uh, I'm also very eager to uh, get other people's thoughts of these out of the box things. Like the thing that Frenetta mentioned, you know, I, I, my mind doesn't go first to social media. Um, and but you know i thought secondarily there's things i i you know without having to have any technical knowledge but you know just sort of like i'm on a uh, and i don't want to give too much your time you probably have things that you need to do too but um I, I i'm on a group called uh delmarva nature and wildlife and you know it's there's lots of beautiful photos the idea is you know everything that you do on this is going to be something you've observed on the delmarva peninsula um and so there's you know a lot of great photos and a lot of people who are, have like questions you know often it's a photo and like what is this or you know what do i do if there's a turtle in the road that sort of thing 
So, you know, on the positive side of things, I'm able to interact and give some specifics about a lot of different species, you know, oh, you know, you're seeing this, probably this means that, and you should be careful not to, you know, that sort of thing. Or like, you know, somebody has, I remember somebody sent a post in with a picture of um, a bald eagle. And he said, well, you know, I, I got this photo as I approached this eagle and then it took off. So clearly he had, you know, driven this eagle off of a, it turns out a, a carcass, you know, stopped it from feeding. So, you know, and th this gets interesting in that we've talked about diversity of our group. Um, in the environmental world, uh, and I, I found that environmentalists are more inclusive than most other groups. But even with that uh, representation of, of especially uh, African-Americans is very, very low, you know? And so actually the Delaware Nature Society, we're, we're have, doing a set of programs about how do we encourage more uh, participation by, by people of color. Uh, but anyway, this guy with the bald eagle thing, he turns out, you know, like you, you get the little picture of, you know, the person, you know, on Facebook, uh, you know, so he was black. So if it had been a white person, I probably would have been a little more stiff with my language. You know, you really shouldn't, you know, so on. But, you know, I thought, okay, I'll play it cool or whatever. You know, I said, well, exactly how close did you have to get to this bird, you know, before it flew off? And hopefully, I, my hope was that, you know, he would respond with, you know, well, I didn't mean to get that close or, you know, whatever. But he, you know, he just said, oh, about 30 feet or so. Clearly, he was clueless about, you know, what I was really getting at there. Uh, so I, I, I think actually someone else jumped in and says, well, you really shouldn't, you know, get that close to a bird just for a picture, you know. So anyway, there's all kinds of opportunities to sort of open people's minds up either on Facebook uh, groups and things that are, you know, you're kind of preaching to the choir in a lot of cases, but there might be cases where you can preach more precisely or whatever. But then there, and I haven't done this yet, yet. But then there's the possibility of getting yourself on some of the, let's just say in this case, alt-right type things and not argue, but you know, you could either respond in such a way that um, it sort of points out satire essentially you know points out the ridiculousness of someone's position i you know i don't know if again i, I think about these things i've uh, not had very good luck with this but i have a few conservative friends um, actually some of them from reading my book uh, and their take on the thing was much different than I intended, which is, is weird. Um, but I've tried to interact with them by asking questions yes. that are thoughtful and make them think about it instead of arguing. And even yes. to the point that if they miss my point, I just let it go. Yeah. <laughs> If the guy doesn't get the fact that he shouldn't get that close to the bird, you know, like you've taken a shot at it, and sometimes you just have to, you know, let it go. Because if you get to the point that the person feels criticized, uh, 
you're probably not going to have future interactions with them or the interaction is going to start taking a bad, have a bad flavor. Uh, so it's a delicate balance. That it is. Yeah, at the very least, they're going to shut down. There's a real art to that. You know, like when I used to work with the uh, the birds on the beach and we're closing public beach to people who want to be you know, sunbathe or drive on it. Uh, you know, fishermen, etc. And, you know, most people were actually pretty uh, supportive, the majority. Uh, but, you know, those that were against it, some of them were really pretty darn uh, militantly against it. So, you know, you, you have to know when to stop a conversation where, you know, so, you know, in those cases, I'd be, well, have a nice day. You know, just be aware that, that the area is closed, you know. But I really want people to not go in the closed area because they care about the animals inside it, you know. But there's some people you just can't get that with. But uh, example I just used the other day, uh, there was one, because a lot of these places, a lot of these drive-on people, they come regularly. So you get to know them. Uh, and some of them may end up being sort of like uh, eyes and ears for you. They, like if somebody goes inside the closed area and you're not around, you know, those people that I, I, and this was a work phone, I would give them my work phone number. And then they could call me and I, if I either had my staff nearby or I would call the enforcement people. But then there's others that, you know, you just knew you're going to walk by that truck because you'd already had a, a, you know, bang your head in the wall conversation with them. So in that particular case, uh, I walked by the truck and they were parked pretty close to where my fencing was, 40 feet, 50 feet. Um, and it turns out a couple of his kids, you know, maybe eight years old or so, came up. And so, you know, I, you know, I always had my people and myself have photos because we the birds when they hatch are these cute little uh, toothpicks, you know, with cotton balls, you know, running around on the beach. It's just, you know, one, if I get can show a person that, I've got them, you know. So, you know, I'm talking to the kids about the birds and how, you know, how, how do you think you would feel if there's something that was 10 to, 50 times taller than you, you know, running around and could step on you at any time, you know, that kind of thing. And uh, I heard, because uh, I was wrapping up after I talked to them, he, they both went back to their family group there and says, you know why you shouldn't go in there? And so the little kid is telling the parent, and I don't know how they reacted, but I bet you that he made a lot more traction than I ever would with that guy. Yeah. You got to trick people to do the right thing sometimes. <laughs> well, I'm, I'm going to um, sign off, and I may even go take an afternoon nap. I'm tired. <laughs> yeah, good call. It's my, it's my day off, so I'm going to spend part of it maybe sitting out under on a swing outside. Oh, nice. nice. Yeah, I'll probably go to White Clay a little later on today and stuff. So, yeah, this was great. Thanks for having me on again. And uh, hopefully it. I didn't leave you with too much editing to do. Well, I, I, I'm going to save up a little energy before I do that. Part of it, I, I'm just tempted to just leave it all, but I, I think it's actually a little too long people but I don't think people yeah. hang in so, so I'd rather kind of choose the place that they drop off instead of letting yeah absolutely yeah and I, I totally trust you to you know pick the format that works best for your your what's worked for you in the past or what you like to do yeah you're you're giving me too much credit too much wisdom <laughs> I'm very much winging this thing okay we'll see you Matt okay see you take care Robert uh-huh bye-bye Stay safe. <laughs> you too. Right. All right. Bye.
Okay, here it is. I got it. So yeah, this, this is the more topical one. Um, so it's called uh, "Stay Safe." I'm sure you've heard that phrase once or twice uh, in the last, you know, three months. Uh, I say it to my children all the time. So stay safe, and with a, a subtitle uh, in parentheses, uh, with a hearty hug to Donald Trump and a humbled bow to COVID-19. So stay safe. Move softly across this land. A ravening beast has arisen and is prowling. Bones and skulls are scattered before its den and its den is everywhere. Move singly across this land. Keep to the shadows and lonely spaces. The beast and his bandits wear masks and might be everyone. Move with eyes wide open. Tune your ears, scent the air. The beast is tasteless and thirsty. Don't touch, don't ever touch anyone. While we keep, our, while we keep to our hearths, the beast is roaming, expanding his range, is empowering his minions. They will try to infect every body when the beast has abandoned this realm. When the beast has abandoned, abandoned this realm, everyone, everybody, anyone, everywhere, stay safe, stay safe. Don't let the beast take refuge in your den. So that's stay safe. I'm not to go back and listen to that again i wasn't quite sure what the beast was you know uh, i think that's a very astute uh um observation because uh, you know as i wrote it for first go through i kind of unconsciously changed where i was going with it and the definition of of you know who the beast was now part of it is you know it's really the the two together uh, in this case covid and our man up top uh, but I, it, that is something that I knew as I wrote it, and even as I, you know, related, because I wrote that one just a few days ago. Um, I need to make it more clear and concise, like like you've talked about. Uh, you know, I need need to pare it down certain ways or, or sharpen it or whatever. Um, but I definitely like the idea I'm trying to get across. So uh, this one is called Jaws. Uh, in formed by the movie Jaws. And this is something that the one that I'm going to have to have the, the note about um, anatomy of a shark. Many of predators, and sharks are a good example, they have something that's called a nictating membrane that is like kind of like an eyelid. It's an additional eyelid. And when they're going in for the big bite, this membrane comes up on, on the eyes that'll protect it in case, you know, I don't know, like, let's say bones come out of the prey and go to poke the eye or, you know, it's thrashing around, whatever. So I use that term, nictating membrane. So here's the poem, it's called Jaws. Sharks are beautiful animals, nearly perfect at what they do, but I don't want one for my president. Heartless, soulless, mindless, saucer eyes rolled back blind behind nictating membranes. The main difference between a shark and our current president is that I believe that sharks have souls. 
Um, a predator grown so large is an aberration, an anomaly. As the sea-fearing sheriff said in the movie, when the villain said in the movie when the villain surfaced and showed its toothy grin, the sheriff said, "We're going to need a bigger boat." As I am saying, even before the primary, we need the current prey, and I am among the schooling and afraid. We need to get out and vote. So that's Jaws. I like that. So. <laughs> Yeah, there, there's plenty of reason and opportunity to be angry these days, and expressing that anger is is not a bad thing. But you know, putting the anger to good use is is what I think is the best goal. Because this one is called an, another, and I guess I'll preface this by saying, uh, you know, I wasn't brought up. I was brought up in a fairly suburban situation. Um, and I didn't live in a war zone. I don't now live in a war zone, but even so, these things that I'm going to say in this poem are, are absolutely true and not exaggerated. So this one's called Another. I have one friend whose father tried to kill her. Another whose mother was killed in front of him when he was eight. Another whose family did to her things so unspeakable that now, at age 76, she still can't talk to me about it. Another, 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 even one other is too many. The best I can do is try to make no one the other to me. The least I can do is vote in lawmakers who are interested in protecting every one of us. So that's another. Wow, that's that's pretty powerful. And we live in a very aggressive environment. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I shouldn't. I shouldn't have that source material to work with. You know. Again, you know, I, like with my upbringing, you would think that I'd less likely to have that. But sadly, I think so many other people have this in their in their circles. Whether it's, you know. Uh, my heart goes out to the people that were brought up inside that kind of environment. It's too much. Shall I give it a whirl? Go for it. Okay. So this one is called Fish School and Zebras Have Stripes. They say that fish school and zebras have stripes so that predators can't focus in on a single target. 27 May 2020 was one of those days where the herds of evils swirled around me and I lost track. First, I learned that T. Rump was perched to pull us out of the World Health Organization in the heart of a global pandemic. Then, immediately afterwards, some putrescent item about further deflowering of the Endangered Species Act. Her distraction clouds specifics for me at this remove. Okay, that's all par for the course. I stepped out of the ring to make some food and savor a quiet meal. Savor a quiet meal. Then I chromed back on, broke trail towards my email. This guy named Floyd kept infiltrating my feed, 
George Floyd. I looked into it. After that, I was pretty raw. I am pretty raw. Damn it, remember, recall, we are not the prey. We've all got predator in us, maybe a lot. We got teeth that can chomp and grind and tear shit up. We can eat anything we hunger after, and it is for us to decide what we're going to swallow. Focus, find an issue, know almost everything about a few things and press your advantage. Think, compare, follow the trail, don't lose track. If we all follow towards the truth of the trails we know, we will all gather at the same watering hole, but arrive from different paths. And I could write this all out like in a classic English literature form and balance it up, but fuck it. It feels right, right now, right now. And anyway, there ain't no way to make it pretty or even equitable. So I'm going to pass out, pass around that first taste that came into my mouth at the 27 May Raw Bar. And if the taste is acrid to you, as it is to me, spit it out and aim it well with surgical precision. A poem titled George Floyd. A moment of silence? How about four minutes of pleading? How about eight minutes and 46 seconds of brutal, literal, lethal oppression? How about a life sentence for a murderer or four? How long, how long, how long, my God. So in conclusion, remember, recall, this ain't no goddamn blue plate special. Not this time, not this time. We've paid an adult price for this buffet and we can come back as many times as we like until we are satisfied. Wow. So that's how I feel. Well, the, the, it's, it's almost like it, it's the preface, preface, preface to the poem and then the poem. And it's kind of a, like you said, a poem inside of a poem. Yeah. Yeah. And that's always, uh, you know, writing it and because I think I'd written the George Floyd thing, you know, just, you know, an hour before or something like that with no real intention of using it necessarily here in that particular, in the zebras have stripes uh, piece. But then, you know, it felt like that was the right thing to do. And then as, you know, like a former English major, among other things, I said, okay, well, if I do that one in order to balance it up, you know, to make it more like a proper, you know, properly uh, formatted poem or whatever, I should be doing something more, uh, I should have another poem about like the political situation. You know, as far, yeah, and I thought, well, you know, I can do that, and I may do that, but the important thing I wanted to get out right then is that how I felt and how, and if anybody else felt in that, felt that way as well, that um, here's an expression of it. So I guess the next one I'm going to read uh, has to do with um, uh, healthcare and some of my challenges, I have some mobility issues, as, as you know, I'm sure. Um, but this one's called um, Finding My Feet. 
So here it goes. Every time I get out of bed or get up from a chair, every time I rise up, I must spend an instant finding my feet. I don't know where seven of my toes are now, but I know where I left them. It amazes me that the less my feet take up physically, the more they take up mentally, emotionally. Every morning I look into a mirror at my feet. My memory searches my past and any smudge that I see jolts adrenaline into my system. No need for caffeine this morning. So I, so I rise up, I find my feet, then move forward. I try to never look back. My balance isn't good enough for that yet. Foresight and hindsight have shown me how to best keep up my humor. I may laugh like a hyena in the night because once I stop, I might bring my club to bear. Mm -hmm. Finding my feet. Wow, that's pretty well done. It's about all of us finding our feet and trying to move forward. Yep. Society right now, that actually kind of fits into uh, the current political situation. Yeah, I, oh, I agree. And I think one of the things I look for in a poem is that it's got, uh, it's not stuck in one particular time. Yeah. You know, now sometimes there are ones that are just very much like, you know, for example, the, the, uh, the George Floyd poem, um, because I'm using one particular individual as, as the uh, uh, foundation for the poem, you know, I, that may or may not work in the future. You know, I, I could probably doctor it so it was more. Uh, well, it may work for a long damn time. I'm hoping that necessary. this is big enough that it works. It, yeah. becomes a, it becomes a slogan. George Floyd becomes a, a slogan or, you know, I can't yeah. breathe maybe. Yo, this is the ancient Texan, an earthling, hoping we all can learn to live and play well together on this small and delicate planet we call home. May we all honor the sacred in our fellow inhabitants. Namaste.